This is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer, a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com backslash allaboutbeer. I'm Lee Cleghorn of Outer Range Brewing, and this week I'm glad to be talking with my friend, Preston Taney of Red House Brewing. We'll get into that in just a moment, but first, this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection, so you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com. Preston, welcome to the podcast. Good hey, Lee, thanks about. for having me. Yeah, how you doing down there in Arizona? Doing great. Weather's beautiful for once, so we've been really enjoying it. Wonderful. All right. Well, I'm super stoked to be talking with you. It's been a while. Great to catch up. Got some great things to cover here. Uh, first, could you just give a quick little intro of yourself? We'll go into the, the specifics later on, but quick intro for the listeners. Yeah. Um, my name, like you said, is Preston Taney, and uh, I'm one of the founders of Renhouse Brewing Company. Um, I don't really have a current title now, uh, but kind of overseeing all of production. Uh, uh, we, we have a head brewer and a, and a couple lead brewers and directors of production. So I'm kind of these days kind of overseeing all of that um, and uh, just filling in where I'm needed. Um, and then, you know, I have two partners, uh, Drew Poole and Bill Hammond, and the three of us uh, uh, founded the brewery uh, eight years ago. So. All right, there you go. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Red House is down in Phoenix. And Preston's got a pretty good history in the Southwest. I know uh, we met initially several years ago in our tap room, I think is where we first met um, in Colorado, because you've got some Colorado roots. Um, can you kind of talk about your, your, uh, your link to the Southwest in general and in Arizona? Yeah, my family has uh, lived in Arizona since like the 1880s. Um, and then for whatever reason, I was born in Colorado and then moved back here when I was a little kid. So, uh, pretty much everyone's a native except for me and it's, it's contentious during, uh, the holidays. Um, but, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we always loved Colorado and, uh, uh, would go back for fishing and camping and stuff. And, um, not to correct you this early in the podcast, but first time we met was in, uh, Virginia uh at a, that's at a, a event. that's a that's a live never been to virginia <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah the uh, uh luke who is our old head bird uh also was born in colorado and, and he told me that you guys are making world-class beer and just were really good people so uh you know I, I always had my eyes out to run into you somewhere uh and then i think we just hit it off from there yeah it's been a great relationship ever since uh, <laughs> you have uh, down down in uh, down in Arizona. 
uh, Rinhouse has expanded a lot recently, but I think you have probably one of the most beautiful tap rooms ever. Just in, you've been there, you know what I'm talking about, but if you have not, it is a, just a small house and you walk in there, you're, you're literally walking into a house on a main street, um, old uh, desert style house. And uh, you've got a lot of decorations in there, uh, you know, speaking to the desert life, heritage of Arizona. Um, how did you guys find that tiny house? I mean, there's not a lot of tap rooms out there that, that are, exist in a house. It's super cool. Um, but how'd you guys find that space and how did it get started? What was the, what was the origin of, of Yeah, the, the, the tap room, uh, was kind of incidental. So we had this business plan, um, that Drew and Bill had put together and, and they brought me in to do the production side. And then we got everything approved, you know, with the SBA loans and stuff like that. And, and the next step was to find property and, Finding brewing property is pretty tough in Phoenix for a lot of reasons, um, especially to plan ahead. Uh, we knew we wanted to, to grow to a certain volume. So we needed production space, tap room, and um, cold storage. And that usually means a big building. And so we were looking for big buildings and they weren't in the parts of town we wanted. And then we happened to, uh, Drew Bill was driving by and saw a sign for cold storage for rent. So we uh, decided to check that out. Um, and it was this huge walk-in for a bakery that uh, had gone under. Um, and it was beautiful and it was brand new and that was great. And then there was two other buildings on the property. So we, we asked, you know, what about these? And, and kind of the gist was, well, there's a house up front. It's in rough shape. We're going to remodel it. And then there's this warehouse in the back that we're going to demo. Um, and it, you know, it was parts of it were, were a hundred years old. Parts of it were 40 years old. It was kind of pieced together. Um, and it was a two story. So we kind of came up with a plan, which is, well, if we remodel the front house, that's our tap room. We've got giant cold storage and then let's see what we can do with this, this third building. And, uh, the top story was was like apartments, but like non-zoned apartments, really sketchy. There was just a bunch of birds in there and it was trouble. So we just pulled out the floor, uh, put up, put a new floor in, had to go down and put, um, you know, resupport the flooring and stuff. And so we turned this kind of hodgepodge uh, two-story multi-use building into a warehouse. Um, and and that left the front, which was the original house. Um, I think the original story was the guy lived up front, you know, 80, 90 years ago. And then that back building is where he made mirrors, um, is what we were told. And um, I, I don't know what that means for us, but it's, it's interesting, I suppose. But so he had that warehouse and, and we use that today. Um, and it's been a little bit tricky. It's we got the height we wanted, but it, the square footage wasn't much. So we've had to get all custom tanks, uh, tall and uh, narrow 30 barrel tanks to fill up the space. Um, but, but it's worked really well for us. Yeah. Well, you keep your stainless so clean back there. It's kind of like a mirror factory still. <laughs> no, what are the three hours a day I, we spend? Yeah, <laughs> it shows. It shows. Um, one of the things that I think is crazy about your space is, uh, you know, a lot of people 
know about the challenges of, of finding real estate and starting a business, and particularly a brewery. Uh, height is always one of them that you're looking for, you know, trying to always look for at least you know, 10 to 12 foot ceilings at a minimum. Um, but you have filled out your space completely pretty, pretty quickly, it looks like. But you're one thing that always sneaks up on people is the logistical footprint required for a brewery that you don't really predict. And one of the creative ways that you guys have solved that is where you would can beers. I don't know if you're still doing that, but back in the day, can you can you talk about where you would can beers? Yeah. So, yeah, like we said, that it's entirely full that the brew house, um, the brewery building. Um, so we use a mobile canner, um, and we can only fit them halfway in, so they, <laughs> they stick out uh, into the yard halfway. And so we've since uh, built another structure. Um, to make things a little easier on everyone. Um, so we have added uh, um, what, what is normally our grain room for grain storage milling. And uh, Chris Hopper uh, is also where the canning line runs now. Um, so yeah, we, we uh, kind of just have to make do with the space. Um, to that point, like we have no room for barrels and we do a lot of barrel aging. So in order to do that, that cold storage, because it's so big, we have hundreds of barrels in cold storage, which is great because you get this cool character from it. But there's a lot of juggling because you still need those higher temperatures to get a lot of those flavors from the, the wood and the oak. Um, so it's a lot of barrel juggling, which, um, you know, is something this time of year is a little bit easier, but when it's 120 degrees out, uh, you kind of, uh, get forced into some corners on that, but um, yeah, it, new... it, it, it does get hot down there. I think yeah, uh, inside inside the cold room is like a favorite place for people to be when they visit. So fortunately, it's giant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when when you were you know out there one day canning with a mobile canner, I'm sure you might have looked back on your life and you know thought about the events that led you to be there. How did you get into beer? How did can you talk about just your your descent into the beer world and how that happened throughout your life? Yeah, it's you know, as someone uh, who listens to this podcast, people have really interesting stories. Mine's not particularly interesting, so <laughs> I'll try and that. Uh, you were the you're in the uh, Anheuser Busch family, right? That's, that's <laughs> your, <laughs> your lineage. <laughs> I wish it was something cool like that. Uh, when I was in college, I worked with a guy who uh, was a home brewer, and it, it, it pretty much was him saying, you know, I want to open a brewery. I think you'd be good at brewing because I um, have an affinity to science like a lot of brewers. Um, he's like, do you want to work with me on some recipes? So I did that for like six months. Um, won a medal at my first competition and thought I'd mastered brewing. Um, it wasn't until recently we found the old, um, the old judges comments and they hated the beer, but no one else had entered in that category. <laughs> so I got bronze, no silver or gold awarded and no one else entered. So, <laughs> I, I, But there was like 12 years where I thought I just nailed it out of the park. Um, but 
but having not knowing, (laughs) not knowing I I, I was mediocre at best, I I was like, well, next step is find a brewery. Uh, And one of my years at college, I had um, lived in Montana and went to school up there. Um, So I was like, well, they have a lot of breweries, a lot of midsize and large breweries making cool stuff. So I'll go up there and see if I can get a job. So I went up there and fortunately uh, was within six months able to find a brewing job without having experience outside of home brewing uh, and, and started brewing for Big Sky Brewing in Missoula um, and absolutely loved it. Um, the culture there was great. The, uh, the beer was really solid um, and the practices. I mean, I, it's a lot of science-driven stuff, a lot of lab work and stuff like that, but also just um, a lot of horse sense and, and you know, knowing how to pivot during brews and stuff like that when you're doing large batches. Um, so I really enjoyed my time there. It was great. And then uh, Drew, uh, uh, one of the founders here, his wife and I had grown up together and him and Bill wanted to open a brewery and uh, Drew's wife was like, oh, I actually know a brewer. He's up in Montana right now. So they called me up, came down and uh we started doing this um so you know it 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 happened pretty quick um quick enough that i kind of feel like an observer now uh to the whole thing but um it it all kind of hashed out yeah i mean you guys have been killing it obviously Uh, and from the beginning you had you know your wife is very talented too lauren with with the uh design there's a lot of the labels i don't know if there's all of them but uh uh, it's definitely a family affair and you got a great, great team down there that is getting successes from multiple locations of Ren House now. And uh, something that was interested in me is, uh, you know, your success watching that over the past couple of years, particularly just at GABF winning medals. And you have a, you know, super hype brewery down there in Arizona and you also got the uh, professional accolades to back it up and so you're, you you stepped up from your bronze medal from home brewing and, and you guys have been getting <laughs> some great recognition over the past several years uh, for your beers professionally and I was wondering if you could speak to kind of the process you all have um, I know Metals have come out of the original location, and I think now also up with uh, Luke at the second location up north in Prescott. And uh, I was wondering if you could tell us your secrets. Yeah. Well, I don't have any secrets, but uh, <laughs> I wish we did. The, you know, yeah, GABF's interesting to us. Um, you know, as fans of like, you know, the the community that is beer, um, even before we had breweries, um, GABF was just this, you know, this amazing festival that kind of was the accumulation of all things beer, the brewers, the beer itself, uh, but the uh, the patrons, the consumers, the, the fans of beer, I mean, that's really their time to shine, try beers they otherwise wouldn't get to, sh- to try. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, the driving focus of beer in a lot of ways. So to us, it was always this, you know, this 
great opportunity. And so I think we were three months old when we entered our first JBF and I was using my homebrew gun to fill bottles and send them out. And um, I didn't get a medal because other people had entered those categories, unlike homebrewing. So it was humbling. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the we, we definitely made it a point. You know, you look at some of these great breweries um, and not only to win a medal, but to win it multiple times. Um, and, and there's certainly a lot of great breweries, uh, you know, like Bierstadt or there, there's plenty of breweries that, that don't enter um, and they have reasons for it, um, um, whether it's because of their ethos or just because they're uninterested in it. These breweries that don't enter have, you know, I don't think they're crazy for not entering. I understand both sides of it. Um, but, but we certainly enjoy the competition. We enjoy the judge feedback. Um, and uh, we've kind of pushed ourselves. Um, and, and it's a good litmus too, right? So like, and winning the medal is great. That's the end goal. But getting those, those um, judges' comments back and seeing that, you know, four of your six beers made it to the final table. That, that's, that's not something you can market. So we're not doing that for hype. We're doing that so that we're like, you know, we're, we're dialed in. What can we do next year? Like, what, what is, what are these best beers in the world doing that we're not? It's, it's an identifiable litmus that we can uh, use to improve our beer. Um, and I'd say the the interesting thing, and if there are uh, young breweries out there who, who want to, or young breweries out there that want to compete, um, our first I want to say, are you, about to, are you about to tell them to not compete against you? Don't enter in hazy IPA. <laughs> now the, the first like four years, maybe even five, we were like, um, well, let's not enter our IPA. You can never win for IPA. There's too many good IPAs out there. And same with like, Oh, our Valley beer, our American lager. It's good. But you know, there's so many of those. Let's enter our pumpkin wheat wine. Well, that's great, but you lose pumpkin wheat wine. It, it's, it's, it's more of a bummer than losing hazy IPA. <laughs> so we decided let's just enter our cores in the beers we're most proud of. Who cares how many people there are? And then it'll give us even more, uh, more push to improve those beers. And the first year we did that, we, we got our first medal, which was uh, silver for Valley Beer, our American lager. Um, and that was great. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, it was always a, a goal of ours to win a medal and that, that was really special for sure. Um, and then things kind of changed the next year when, when we got gold for Hazy IPA um, because I, I don't know how I don't know how you quantify something like that internally. Um, it, it was such a great honor, um, but but you know there's a certain amount of luck involved. I mean, there was probably 20 beers on that table at, at the last table that that you know we were just lucky to be included on, um, and and to make it out on top was was something we probably will never replicate. Um, I can't imagine. Uh, with how many breweries and great IPA breweries there are, uh, I think we're very fortunate to have won it. Um, and, but
but it gave us that push. Let's try and let's try and win it again. Let's get two time hazy. And we know that that's a pretty big hill to climb, but it's something that all year we're working on to make it as good as that batch or better than that batch. Or why did that one win? And last year it just made it two rounds. Um, and I think that's the value of those competitions is, is being able to use that as a metric um, instead of saying like, oh, everyone in the tap room really likes that beer. And that's great. And you can rest on your laurels and it, and it is still a good beer and, and you should do that. But uh, the amount of times we've made small tweaks and then those our guests are like, oh, this batch is even better. You know, sometimes you need that analytical um, drive to, to, to help uh, adjust the beer. Yeah, I'd say that's one of the unique things about you guys. You know, you're racking in medals for IPAs and lagers, and uh, that's, that's definitely a rare feat. So just killing it down there, one beer at a time. Uh, but you guys came across like a crazy opportunity a couple of years ago. It kind of came, uh, at least from the outside, it seemed out of left field, uh, the opportunity you had to expand. I know. Um, you and I had talked over the years a little bit about what you're going to do because you know, you're brewing in a closet down there behind the house in Phoenix that you call the brewery, um, and and uh, we're definitely looking for other places to go. And you talked about the real estate market in Phoenix was so hot; people or places were coming on the market, off the market, and it's really hard to plan and uh, you know start sourcing equipment for those types of decisions in, in such a competitive real estate market. And then you did something totally different and you found a production facility. You, you and uh, your partners found that facility up north um, and got that started about a year ago. Can you yeah. talk yeah, us through so, that? Yeah, that, that was just a crazy like six or nine months. We, we actually bought a property right down the street and we were going to do some offsite production on, with the uh, probably no tap room. Um, and then we uh, we were looking for a 30 barrel brew house to fit in it. Uh, and it was cool, it was an old, uh, an old church. Um, and someone told us that the Gordon Biersch uh, in, in Glendale outside Phoenix had, uh, was being liquidated and they needed everything gone. So I went up there um, unannounced and I really wanted to filter and I knew that they filtered their beers and then the guy who was uh, the company that was liquidating them was like make an offer we'll give you everything so we did that um, and so unexpectedly we had this 30 barrel lager brew house with a mash kettle and all that and that was exciting except it didn't fit into the building we had and we kind of we're like, well, okay, so we have this building, we have a brewery and they don't fit together. So the next step was find a new building. So we started looking around and we found one and we got really close. We had plans drawn up and then something would happen. And, and then we found one that was a complete gut. It was a really cool property. It had a bunch of little buildings on it. It'd be a complete gut and then keep a couple walls and, and then build up and it'd be this great event space. And, and we met with the architect and I, 
you know, Drew and Bill are, are handling the business side of it and they want to know, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, and the only thing I want to know is when can I brew? And I said, like, can I do it in a year and a half? And he's like, no. And I was like, what about two years? And the architect said, I don't think we're breaking ground in two years. And so I, I was just, you know, I, th that's surreal to me to be sitting on all this stuff for two years. So I was having my own internal conflict. And then uh, my partner, Bill, uh, went out of town. And then Luke, who uh, was our head brewer, had heard from a friend that Prescott Brewing in uh, Prescott, Arizona, uh, was up for sale. Um, and so I made some calls. Drew and I like started looking at it and it, it wasn't like a fire sale. I mean, you know, it was whatever it was evaluated at, but, but the difference was you could sign the paperwork and start brewing that day. Um, and so Bill got off his plane to the East coast and had 20 missed calls and was like, Bill, we need to buy this brewery today. And he's just like, I'm on family vacation. So he spent the first day at, at a beach house with his family, just orchestrating this, this, this buyout. Um, and, and we pulled the trigger. It happened in, in a matter of hours. Um, and then, of course, there's two months of paperwork and all that. But, but without meaning to, we, we ended up with uh, an entirely new plan and then pivoted our, our structure around that new building. Um, and so it all worked out really well. Um, the, the, the Gordon Beers brew house, for instance, um, we didn't need that brew house anymore. So we had a beautiful 30 barrel in Prescott, but all of the tanks, the filter, um, all, all this ancillary equipment is what was missing in Prescott. Prescott had a 30 barrel brew house, but not a lot of big tanks. Um, so we were able to bring up four 60 barrel tanks and some thirties. Um, and uh, double the capacity of that brew house. Um, so now we have uh, a 120, a 90, 560s, and a bunch of 30s. Um, and, and all of that was all of these crazy, you know, unexpected events happening the same year um, kind of built that brewery. Um, and the plan was we had a, a growth structure planned. Um, and I think first step though, as, as a brewer, is I just want to fill all the tanks. So we just filled all the tanks the first week. Luke just brewed nonstop. Um, I was, we'd fill one tank and then I'd hook up the glycol and electrical to the next tank. And then the next day we'd move down the line and each day we'd hook up a tank and brew into it yeah. um, for two weeks, like crazy people. Um, and then since that day, we've never had an empty tank up there. So we've, we, uh, we had no expectation that, uh, that the demand would be there, but um, fortunately it was. Um, and, you know, Prescott's just kind of been just this lifesaver for us, uh, really pulling off the burden of, uh, of the core beers, um, brewing them exceptionally well, the team up there, uh, is just killing it um, and then allowing a little bit of flexibility in Phoenix to, to continue kind of what we're known for, which is just a constant stream of one-off beers. Yeah, and so you're going through all this growth 
you're obviously you and the team obviously very dialed into the market going from such a small brewery footprint into production facility you know i think brewers are all excited about loggers and we've been trying to push this lager thing for a long time um, just because that's what we want to drink while we're spending time at the brewery because you can't uh you know house several hazy ipas in a day every day and and keep going um, but you know there's a lot of data out there that says ipas are still like by far the number one seller still a lot of growth in ipas and even though we talk a lot about lagers um, we still see in our brewery ipas um you know outselling everything and and we we can't fill the tanks fast enough for ipa what are you guys seeing it as you're expanding to this market going you know over just the, the span of a couple of years from a small footprint into that big production facility how are you all reading the market for for craft beers in terms of style yeah and that's a great question um the it, it's interesting to see so the first beer we ever brewed was a lager, um, senior gallo, Mexican lager. Um, it was one of the, one of my um, sticking points was to always have a lager on tap. And you know when you, when you're a startup and and we're paying out of pocket for grain and I mean everyone knows those crazy days when you start a brewery. Um, it it was definitely a burden at first to have this beer that wouldn't sell, but it worked well because it didn't sell. So we always had one on tap and it'd be like, <laughs> I only had to brew a lager every nine months. Um, so we now no longer have that problem. Um, but, you know, it's something that that's interesting, which is we, we're still doing six to eight weeks minimum on our lagers. Um, and we have two soon to be four core lagers. And that means Every time we turn a lager, we could have turned um, two IPAs, um, especially knowing IPAs will sell. Um, in theory, you would need two times uh, more profitable beer out of a lager, but that's not the case. You can't you can't put that opportunity cost into lagers when uh, big beer has um, historically been able to drive that price down, right? So the um, we're kind of in a in between phase because because also there's there's detriment to not having those those loggers both in diversity of, of tap options uh, but also there are people um, there's a lot of people today who uh, drink mostly loggers so if you get rid of those you, you lose entire swaths of clientele. Um, and additionally, there's people who don't drink craft beer. They only drink lagers. Um, I don't know those people. So. <laughs> it's all of my friends and family. <laughs> and it's if they're over at my house watching a Suns game or going fishing, I can't go, oh, I didn't bring Coors Light, but here's a double hazy IPA for you. They'll, they'll just pass on the beer. Um, they, they, there's So to have that option, to have Valley beer, um, and it, it's not a consolation prize. They really enjoy it. It's reminiscent of the things they're looking for in a beer. That, that's a huge part of the market. And we we want to continue to have beer for everyone. And that means lagers. Um, 
Now, specifically, like you said, there's this huge lager boom going on, European lagers mainly. Um, and, and we're seeing that from great breweries um, um, all over the place. Um, we, we have seen that, um, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, it, it's safe to say the loggers actually are outselling the IPAs or at least matching them uh, in-house. So from a draft perspective, uh, like you said, people want to come in and have two or three beers. They're not going to do that with our triple hazing. Um, so something we've done recently is we've pulled back a lot of canning of our lagers. Um, we just dropped it 30% um, because we saw that our kegs would blow in two weeks of a 30 barrel batch, but we'd have cans for two months. So we're switching to more draft. Um, and this year, next year, the beginning of next year, uh, we're opening a new tap room in Ahwatukee, which is a Phoenix suburb, south, southwest of, of our current tap room. And it'll be um, lager driven um, with, uh, you know, with, with uh, a lot of European, uh, Czech and German inspired um, characteristics to the actual tap room. Uh, but also um, with consideration to how the beer is poured and how the beer is brewed, uh, really give us the ability to slow down on these beers and make beers um, um, with that nuance that people expect um, from uh, these great lager breweries. And that's something I think um, the environment is a big part of. Um, you know, if you go to Freem or Beerstadt and drink one of their Pilsners, it's this amazing opportunity and you, you just never had a better moment in your life. I don't know that you still have that experience if your first time drinking it is out of a can at your friend's house. And so for us to be able to, to give that environment, uh, I think that's why the loggers um, are, are so valuable in the, in the tap room. Um, and then, you know, of course, we'll be canning 40% of it still. But, but I, I think that the push towards loggers is a mix of People liking those beers, the drinkability, the complexity, the character, the uniqueness of them, uh, but also the environment sitting down, you know, like people used to at a pub and drinking a few pints of lager with your friends um, is a unique kind of humbling experience compared to, um, you know, some other flavors we might be offering at the time. Yeah, well, I'll talk more a little bit about that new taproom coming and also the connection between Rinhouse and outer space. But first we're gonna take a short break for this message and then come right back for more of this conversation with Preston Taney of Rinhouse Brewing. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection, so you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsdtea.com. 
All right, we're back with Preston of Rittenhouse Brewing, talking about their expansion, lagers, and outer space. Preston, before we get to your taproom expansion, I'd like to dig into uh, outer space, specifically Mars. You invited us a couple, couple. Uh, God dang, when was that? Um, a couple years ago. I guess it was like two years ago now. Pretty. Some point um, down to your place to do a collaboration, which is normal. You know, we've been down there to do that, but uh, this was a unique collaboration that you all set up with um, the rover crew for the Mars mission, for the Mars rover mission. And you were incredibly nice uh, to invite us down because you did it with my daughter, Madeline, and it's really into outer space and you've got some kids who so understood how important that was. And so we went down there and did that. And we basically just tagged along while you, uh, you know, um, using the relationship you had built with this crew over, over several months and uh, made a beer with these people who are actually huge craft beer fans. What was that collaboration? How did that come together? Are you still working with them? What are they doing? Are we yeah. still on Mars? <laughs> We're still on Mars. Yeah, so that's interesting. The, you know, I, I guess what it comes down to is when you release three new beers a week, you have to come up with three new names a week. Um, and we try and get clever sometimes, but sometimes it's just things I'm into at that time. <laughs> and uh I loved space travel and uh, space, space exploration and science and stuff like that. And we were launching um, a mission to Mars, uh, Perseverance and Ingenuity. Um, and so I was like, oh, we were doing, we have two IBAs coming out. Let's just call them Perseverance and Ingenuity. And um, someone commented on the Instagram post and it was forwarded to me and it was just like, there's someone who'd made some inside comment and tagged some friends and is like, you know, hey, look, our, our rover's on a beer can. And so I reached out to that person. And I was like, are you, are you involved in this? And, and she was like, oh, yeah, we, we're out of ASU. So uh, Arizona State University is right down the street um, or down the freeway, 15 minutes or so. Um, and they have a great uh, space program there um, and do a lot of rovers and, and, and other science um, uh, specialties for um, for NASA and, and other firms um, and so I was like well I'd love to meet you come down I'll, I'll give you guys some beers and posters and so I got to meet um, Corinne and, and, and some of the other ladies who worked there and they were just the nicest people in the world they had the same passion uh, for science as I do except theirs is amplified because they're actually doing it for a living um, so I got to just sit there and pepper them with questions about how do you guys do this? How do you do that? And um, they're the ones who uh, um, run the, uh, the, I think it's Mastercam, the camera on the Mar Mars rover. Um, so this group of people are the first ones to see images of Mars as they get beamed to Earth. And it was just this awesome opportunity. And I said, well, if you ever want to brew a beer, because they, they're big fans of beer and, and all that entails, I said, come down and and they were really excited. And I knew your daughter loves uh, space and science. So it got me an excuse to hang out with you guys uh, and brought them down. And, and um, the ladies at uh, 
that that work on the rover were super generous and, and were able to um, you know bring us some stickers and, and answer all the kids' questions and all my questions and uh, it just was this really cool experience uh, and it all centered around beer um, and I think that's something that I like is doing collabs with people like that um, is being able to kind of bridge these unrelated um, careers um, and you know build these relationships all just because we named a beer after perseverance um, and so we ended up naming that one moxie which was one of the scientific experiments being done on on the with the rover and the, that mission um, and then scientists from MIT were reaching out this this one PhD was like, oh, I designed Moxie. We we send me some beers, and then someone from NASA reached out. I was like, can we have a poster? We love this, and it was just this surreal experience as such a geek for this stuff to 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 reach these people that we would have absolutely not reached. They're, they're not like, oh, you've got a new Czech logger coming out. Will you send me one. They they were in it for this specific reason, and and we could have been done with that, but what we what we did was we wanted to keep that going, that mutual love for each other's um, kind of passions. And so now we're doing a series um, and it's gonna be an indefinite amount of beers. We're gonna do it until, until we're tired of doing it. But uh, they're after, um, based, the, the titles are based on heavenly bodies. So planets and moons and asteroids and stuff like that. So we've done Mercury, Venus and Earth so far. We're going to do moon and a couple asteroids and then some other planets. Um, and and the, the collaborative part is we talked to them about the beer ahead of time. Um, the, these group of scientists are involved in that part uh, weeks in advance, making sure we try and match a beer to the, to the satellite as, as best as possible. Um, and, um, and so we get the beer done and then they bring out a scientist who has uh, personal experience studying that body and then gives a presentation while everyone's drinking the beer at the release. So, you know, for, for Venus, we have someone who's involved uh, either academically or, or professionally with uh, the planet Venus. And they come down and do uh, a slideshow and they, they're these brilliant people and they're talking, answering questions while everyone's drinking that beer. Um, and the, the amount of, you know, new guests uh, new new customers we've gotten from that has been really cool and and created this kind of small community of people who can come to Ren House and kind of geek out on these releases um, and you know so I'm I'm for that. I yeah, that no, I see that totally. I mean, uh, when when we were down there, it was it was really funny to see like all these uh, you know the Mars rover team crew nerding out over beer and you know having this kind of crush on the whole brew scene and then vice versa, you know, all the, all the, all the brewers have this dreamy look in their eye talking to all these scientists who are actually totally. doing incredible, uh, you know, real life missions out there that make it a big difference. Um, so I thought that was super cool, super creative for you guys to do that and, and keep going with it. That's great to hear. Yeah. I look forward to talking with you more about that and learning more about it in the new tap room you guys set up. When is that going to open? It's we'll always to it. Whatever you say, yeah, it's, it. <laughs> it's always two months out. So I'd, I'd tell you two to three months, but uh, okay, who knows? 
Yeah, great. I guess the internal return answer would be I'll get it in two to three months. So, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for chatting, Preston. It's been great catching up, man, and, and uh, hearing about what you guys have going on in the future. Um, Preston is going to be back on the next episode of the show as the host, having a conversation with the brewer of his choosing. And that'll be on the air in two weeks. So make sure you tune in for that. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com backslash allaboutbeer. Thanks a lot, Preston. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by First Tea. First Tea delivers the ingredients and experience brewers need for delicious beers and innovative flavors. Flexible order sizes and direct from farm teas for your next brew. Find out more about First Tea by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com.